0: I've asked it before, and I'm going to ask it again. How are you doing? You know, here at Fellowship, we keep asking until we get the real answer. So how are you doing? Are you bored yet? Is all the, all the fun of staying home and all the fun of all this, has it completely worn off? Are you getting antsy? Are you, are you ready to get going again? How exhausted are you? Are you ready for a vacation? Are you lonely, depressed? Are you satisfied? Are you content? How are you? That's the question. Now, here's what's interesting. When I was dreaming about and planning about going through the book of Revelation, I knew that God wanted this series to be a series of breakthrough, a breakthrough for our church and a breakthrough for people who who went through this book together with us. I knew that. And, and what was funny is, is when I started dreaming and thinking and praying about doing revelation with this idea of breakthrough in mind and with this idea of looking at how to respond in, in, in certain situations, I actually wondered to myself, gosh, because keep in mind, this was 2019, the end of 2019 that I was planning this. I was actually thinking, gosh, do we have enough material Can I think of enough barriers for us to break through as we go through the book of Revelation? I actually thought, is this book really going to be relevant for us today? Well, here's what's going through a pandemic has taught me, is that this book is definitely relevant for us today. And today the scriptures that we're going to see will be no exception to this. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 through 7 and y'all this passage it was almost specifically divide, d- d- divinely inspired for the current climate that we're living in. Now I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we live in a fairly divided country right now. Right? Anybody anybody in tune with that that we live in a divided country? In 2017 So this is a few years ago. The Pew Research Study showed that the division between political parties was growing wider and wider and wider. Specifically, they looked at the view of government. They looked at race and immigration, national security and environmental protection. Those were kind of the things they looked at. And what they noticed is that each political party was getting further and further and further away from the other. They did a similar study on society. You know, is society more or less divided than political parties? And what they found is that on issues of gender and race and ethnicity and religion and education, society is even more divided than political parties on those issues. Y'all, this was all before COVID-19 was even a word that these results came out. And so I'm sure if they did that same study today, they would see an even wider divide, not only in political parties, but also in society. Y'all, we live in a divided time, don't we? What we're going through right now is this hard time for everyone. And, and the season of difficulty has taught me something about divisions. And it's this, that hard times don't create divisions, they just expose them. Hard times, like what we're going through now, don't create divisions, they just expose divisions that are already there. And so this season hasn't created any new political, any new divisions between political parties or societies. All it's done is to expose the division that's already in them. If you don't believe me, do a simple scroll on social media and you will see that to be true. And I would imagine if you take a minute and kind of reflect what's going on in your own heart and soul, you will see that this season, these hard times have also, even for you, exposed some divisions in your heart and in your soul. See, when you feel like the world is against you, and that's kind of what hard times feel like. You feel like the world is against you. These times don't create divisions in your own heart. They simply expose them. They simply expose the divisions that are already there. You see, hard times exposes divisions in you. And so, y'all, These divisions affect how you answer that question that I asked you. When I asked you, how are you? The divisions in your own heart and soul affect the way that you answer that question. As a matter of fact, I think these divisions need to be exposed so that we can deal with them. Y'all, because this is what today's message is going to do. We're going to see these divisions in our own heart and we're gonna see a better way to respond than with a divided heart. Now, today's passage includes some of the more famous pictures in Revelation. We're gonna see the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Have you ever heard of them? Well, we're gonna see them today, but they're not all that we're gonna see. Because remember, in the book of Revelation, we believe, and as we work through this, we're seeing that Revelation shows us how to respond when the future happens. And so we're going to see some hard times today. As a matter of fact, those four horsemen are what's going to bring these hard times. And we're going to talk about them. But what we're going to see is we're going to see a better way to respond to those hard times. Now, albeit, you're going to see some familiar responses in here. As I go through this, you're going to be like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. Great. Like, I do too. We're in this together. We need this Bible to show us a better way. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that response today. And y'all, as your pastor, let me tell you, I hope we can walk in that better way with Jesus. Because I think that's what our world needs to see, is that better way. Well, let's, let's dive in. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this. It says, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. Now, remember where we left off last week, um, uh, God the Father was holding the scroll in his hand and he gave it to Jesus. And that scroll had seven seals on it. And so Jesus is now opening those seals, right? And so so that's where we are today. And and what's important for us to know is that each one of these seals releases a different kind of hard time on the earth. It releases a different kind of hard time on humanity. So let's, let's see what that is. Now, as I, now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, this first seal was opened, and what it releases is War. Right? Remember, John's watching this happen and he sees this horseman with a bow and with a crown and, and he's released to conquer. And so, so, so there's this, this, this war that's going on. Now, here's what you're going to see with each of these four horsemen. You're going to see an action, but you're also going to see an attitude that's fueling that action. And this attitude is oftentimes the reaction to those hard times, not the, not the better reaction. It's the reaction that's going to be really familiar to us. And so so, so this is the action. The action is war. What's the attitude here? Well, well, notice for the, for you uh, Bible scholars out there and you folks who love to, to study and observe the Bible, notice something about this horseman. He has a bow. Now, What's unique about this word, this is the only time that this word is used in the entire Bible. And here's why. Because this is a bow with no arrows, right? You have a bow with no arrows. Nobody carries a bow with no arrows. Why? Because it's completely useless. And so, so this seal doesn't just release war on the earth, it also releases an attitude that's fueling this kind of war. And this this attitude is, is, is an attitude that's embodied in a bow with no arrows. And I'm just calling it self-righteousness. Right? It's this attitude, it's this attitude of the self-righteous person is like a bow with no arrows. Here's what I mean. They put up a good front, but they aren't really good for anything. Right? That's what a bow with no arrows is. It looks really powerful, but it, it doesn't have anything behind it. Another way to think about it is they're all bravado, which, is, which by definition is like they put on this good front like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, right? But the problem is with self-righteousness, it's all bravado, but it's no bravery, right? There's nothing there. They're all puffed up, but they're just full of air. You see, this war that's being released is a war about nothing. It's a war based on pride. It's a war based on self-righteousness. It's a war to prove a point, not to correct an injustice. That's the first seal, self-righteousness. Let's look at the next one. Verse three says this, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should not, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Now here we see we can observe a couple of things. One, we see this horse is red, right? Not only red, it is bright red, it is fiery red, and then we see bloodshed, right? This horse, uh, this horseman takes peace from the earth, and there's bloodshed, and so, so, so that's the action is this bloodshed. But the attitude here, see, red is often a color of strong emotion, right? It's the color of passion that doesn't fit here. It's also the color of anger, right? And so what attitude is released here is anger. It's anger that causes bloodshed. So, so not only do you have these hard times that are being released exposing this attitude of self-righteousness, that I'm right and you're wrong, but it's also that self-righteousness that leads to anger, and so there's this underlying anger in humanity in response to these hard times, and that underlying anger leads leads to, to bloodshed. Look at verse five. It says, And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius." And do no harm to the oil and wine. Now it's actually unpacking this one that helped me see maybe there's more than an action here, but an attitude, because because this writer has a pair of scales in their hand. Now, now when you and I hear scales, we might think of that thing we step on in the bathroom to tell us if we're on team corn ten or team corn fifteen, right? You know what I'm talking about? You you know what I'm talking about, right? And just to be clear, like you have to be 15.1 pounds heavier than you were to be on team fifteen, right? Like, like there's some, there's a little leeway that you can still be counted on Team Corn Ten. Well, well, it's not those type scales. The scales that this guy is holding is is a balance right? Like think of an old school balance, right? And that's what he's holding in his hands because it was used in the market to weigh things. And so what this horseman is producing is he's producing famine because what he's saying is that for a little bit of barley, for a little bit of grain, you have to pay an entire day's wages. Food becomes really expensive. And so, 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 so a day's wages for a little bit of grain, that's the action. Famine is the action. But what's the attitude here? Well, see, I think the attitude here is division, and here's why. Because you see, oil and wine are spared. Now, oil and wine are typically luxuries, right? And these are luxuries. And, and so the scales that he's carrying aren't just to remind John of the marketplace, but it's also this attitude of, do you measure up? right? Because oil and wine are spared from this famine, but the essentials of life, the grain, the cost goes up astronomically. And so what this horseman does is he creates a divide between the haves and the have-nots, right? Because if you're wealthy, you can still buy the grain and it's okay. It's the poor who can't do this anymore, and so, so it is a, it, it, this attitude is one that seeks division when there's hard times. And this division is so strong that it causes famine, particularly to the poor. Now, let's look at verse 7. It says, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice uh, of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse this time. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And there was given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beast on the earth. And so now this one steps it up a little bit, right? This one, the action is death and its weapons are fourfold. You've got a sword, which is a common symbol for death and war, but then you've also got famine, pestilence, and wild beast. Now these are weapons of destruction, right? You can't control wild beasts. It's this chaotic destruction. And that's what each one of these four things do is they cause destruction, right? A sword separates, famine withers away, pestilence, which by the way, for you Marvel fans out there, the word for pestilence is very similar to the word for Thanos, right? Because what it means is it means to separate body from soul. It means death. And wild beasts tear things apart. All of these things destroy, which leads to our final attitude, and it's an attitude of destruction. So let's pause here and just think for a moment. Can you think of a situation where people are being kind of self-righteous, where they're getting angry, where they're causing division, and finally where they're setting out to tear one another down? Can you think of a time that's exposing those behaviors? Like right now, you don't believe me, go to Trader Joe's without a mask. True story, right? I needed to go to Trader Joe's. I didn't have my mask with me and I just skipped it. I was like, you know what? I don't need that kind of shame in my life today. I'm just gonna skip it, right? This is where we are living today. We are going through a hard time we don't have to go very far to feel these attitudes, not only projected on you, but also coming from you. And here's why, because when we hit hard times, these attitudes are real easy for us to gravitate toward. Now, maybe you have responded in one or more or all of these ways to hard times. Maybe you've considered you or your position better than others. That's self-righteousness y'all. Maybe you used, you've used anger to get a point across. Now, now, we're sophisticated. You're not the one that's angry. It's just the post or the article that you shared has an angry tone to it. Y'all, that's anger. And that's using anger to get your point across. Maybe you've joined in the division around us. Maybe you've thought about what it would be like to bring someone down. That's destruction. Y'all, I get it. I really do. But but what we're going to see is that Jesus has a better way for us to respond when hard times hit. He has a better way for us to respond right here, right now, today. Because we're going to be introduced to some more folks. The four horsemen get a lot of press, but they're not the focus of this part of Scripture. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, It says, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now this term under the altar. So John looks and and that fifth seal is opened and then he notices almost as if the, 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 the altar at this heavenly temple opens up and he can see under it and he sees these people. In the Jewish temple, when they would make a sacrifice on the altar, the blood would flow under the altar. And so this is an image to John of people who had sacrificed their life. Their blood was given in sacrifice. And it's very clear to say what their sacrifice was. They stayed faithful, stayed faithful to the word of God. And they stayed faithful to Jesus. They stayed faithful to the gospel. And and, and look at what they say in verse 10, because y'all, this is going to sound familiar too. In verse 10, it says this, And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves had been. You see, John sees them ask this very simple question, which is very common to him today. And it was very common to him in his day because in ancient times, if you were put on trial, you pleaded to the judge, right? You pleaded to the judge for mercy. That's what they're doing. They're not on trial, but they're looking at Jesus and they're asking this very simple question of how long, how much longer until we can be avenged? How much longer will these hard times come? How much longer will those who caused our hard times be in charge? Well, maybe you've asked this same question, how long? Maybe you're asking it right now, right? In North Carolina, we were given a bit of a reprieve in phase two, but it's a modified phase two. And for some of you, that means you're still not going back to work. It means life isn't fully resuming for you. You might be asking, how long? long. When I asked how you're doing, you might be asking how long does Fred have to keep asking us how we're doing, right? Well, this question, how long, is actually a good and biblical question to ask if your heart is ready for a good and biblical answer. Because as they were asking Jesus how long, his response was a little while longer. Just wait. Now, the white robes they were given, we will see that throughout this book was about worship. So he told them to worship and wait. Wait until God's plans are complete. So, church, let me ask you if you're asking how long, are you willing to wait for a little while longer? Are you willing to wait? Through these hard times because because look what happens when you do right right there is a day coming look at this look at what happens in verse 12 it says and when he opened the sixth seal I looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sack, sackcloth a full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell in the earth as a fig, as fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Y'all, let me tell you what this reminds me of. When I was younger, my parents would jokingly, and I say jokingly, say, they would say this, they would say, listen, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? That was their way to say, get in line." This is our Creator's version of this, because what He's doing is He is rewinding creation just to show His power in this sixth seal. And he's doing it specifically for those who brought about the hard times on others. You see, the actions of these four horsemen, that's what he's doing. He's showing who's actually in charge. Because look at their response. Because their response, y'all, is going to show what's actually behind those four attitudes. It's going to show what fuels those four attitudes. Look at verse 15. It says, and then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? So y'all, here's what's happening here. Those who have responded and with, with the self-righteousness, with, with all of these four attitudes, the ones who are in power and even the ones who aren't, but the ones who are fueling all of this. Here's what we see is behind their response, y'all. They are hiding. When God shows himself for who he is, they hide. Now, these aren't the faithful. These aren't the people who know Jesus and the gospel these are the people who, when they see God's power, they don't know what to do. And here we simply see something else that is exposed in hard times, and I think it's what fuels those four attitudes. I think what we see here is what's, what's behind self-righteousness, what's behind anger, what's behind division, what's behind wanting to tear someone down, because what's behind all of that is actually fear. And so here's the deal, church. When you respond with self-righteousness, when you respond with division, when you respond with destruction, when you respond with any of those four things, when you respond with anger, I want you to know that we see you and we see the fear in you. I want you to know that when I respond with self-righteousness, when I respond with anger, when I respond with division, when I respond with wanting to tear someone down instead of lifting them up, I want you to know that I know that you see me, and you see the fear in me that's driving that. And I want us to all be clear that that fear that fear will be exposed one day. Whether you're a Jesus follower, you know, that that's just it. This passage is looking at those, I believe, who, who aren't following Jesus. But here's what I know about those of us who are following Jesus. We still have fear in our hearts and that fear still produces those attitudes. And, and church, I need us to be clear that that fear will one day be exposed for what it is. So why not expose it now and let's deal with it and see a better way to respond? Because here's our great response to hard times. And when we're going through hard times, you see, we don't win by defeating. We don't, we simply don't. We win when God defeats. That's what's happening here is God is defeating those who caused these hard times. And so if you're going through hard times, particularly hard times caused by the actions and attitudes of others, then wait for God to do his work. Because their question is who can stand, right? They're, they're hiding in caves and they're fearful and they see God in his power and they say, who can stand with that God? Who can stand with that God? We can't do it. We are, we are afraid. Well, John shows us, look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 verse 1 says this, And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the the rising of the sun, so coming from the east, with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so what John is seeing here is he's talking about another vision. I don't think these happen chronologically. I think there's a skip between chapter six and seven, but what John's doing in, in when he wrote this is he's answering that question that was asked at the end of chapter six. He's answering the question that they said of who can stand. And his answer, his answer to this is who survived these hard times? Well, let's look and see. Because he says, and I heard a number of the sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel's 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed from the tribe of Reuben from Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin were sealed 12,000 from each of those now this number represents I believe it's symbolic and it represents the number of Israel the the and here's why uh, here's why I believe it's symbolic Dan was a tribe in Israel and isn't even mentioned here Right? And so, so, so it's not that there are 12,000 Jews from each tribe that are going to be saved. 12,000 people from the, 144,000 people from the nation of Israel are going to be saved. I, I think it's symbolic. You see, I think the, the, the bigger picture here is how they're organized. Because what we see here is this is divided up like an army. This is what would happen when you, when you divided your troops into armies as you would count them. And so, so John's answer to this question is who can stand is it's those who are following Jesus, those who are under Jesus' command, because look who else is there. In verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and all the tribes and the peoples and the languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, worshiping God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are those clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? This is the question, right? The question was asked, Who is this that can stand? Well, an elder comes up to John and asks him, who are they? And he gives the most brilliant answer. He said, he said to them, sir, you know. In other words, I don't know. You, you tell me. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the lamb. And so who are these people? that are lined up under the command of Jesus? Who are these people that come from every tribe and every tongue and every time zone in the the world? It's those who have stayed faithful to a faithful Jesus. That's who they are. That's what he's saying during the worst of hard times that you can imagine. They stayed faithful to a faithful Jesus. It's those who don't rely on fear causing self-righteousness and anger and division and destruction, it's those who instead rely on Jesus. And if necessary, they waited. They stayed true to God's word and true to the good news and the gospel of Jesus. Now here's the question that I want us to consider. What draws you away from Jesus, like right now? What draws you away from Jesus in this time? I don't believe that we're living in the the sixth seal of the book of Revelation. I believe we're living in a time that's similar, but not nearly as bad. But yet we're tempted to respond the same way. We're tempted to let fear fuel our attitudes. So I'm asking you, what draws you away from Jesus? Where, Where does fear live in you? Where do you find yourself gravitating towards self-righteousness, anger, division, and destruction? Well, listen to me. Jesus has a better way. Watch this. In verse 15, it says this, it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. So now He's looking at those who, who who faithfully followed their faithful Jesus, and He's saying, now they've got this purpose in them that that maybe when they were asking how long they didn't have then, or at least they think they didn't have then. Well, now that purpose is fully seen, and that purpose is to serve God. Y'all, you know the best solution to self righteousness and pride, like literally when I was when I was doing. my master's in counseling, uh, there's this personality disorder called narcissism, which is where you think that you are better than everybody else, and and, and there's nobody who's better than you. That's what narcissism thinks. And I remember my teacher saying there is one cure for narcissism, and that is to give yourself to a person and a cause bigger than you. Y'all, that is God. That is His plan in the world. You see, serving Jesus fixes any kind of self-righteousness because it gives you humility. Look at what else we get when we faithfully follow a faithful Jesus. It says, And so, so not only are they serving the Lord day and night in the temple, it says, And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. So, y'all, here's what else we get when we faithfully follow a faithful Jesus is we get a place, right? We get a place with an abiding God who is with us and keeps us secure. We get a place of security. We know who we are when we know who we belong to. And when we belong to God, we are his forever. And see, secure people know their place with God. And secure people don't get angry out of fear. Now, we might get angry out of something else, right? Jesus walked into the temple and turned tables over. But we don't sin in our anger. And when fear is what fuels our anger, we sin. And so when you know your place, you don't get angry out of fear. Instead, you get peace. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this, And they shall hunger no more and neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. And here we see provision, right? That we are completely secure with God. Here's what, here's what fearful people do. Fearful people divide. They divide friendships, making people choose. They divide organizations, causing splits. When you are secure in God's providing presence, you don't call, you don't cause division. You promote unity. Like here's the deal. In, in, in our faith and in our church world, we never have the resources we need to do what God is asking us to do. right As a church, we never have the money we need, we never have the people we need to do what God is asking us to do. Now here's what I could do in that position. I could create division, right? I could divide God's plan up, I could say, okay, we're just going to do this much or only these people are the people who can help, not anybody else. right? That's just one example of how we can cause division, but when you understand that God is your provider, and even though you don't see the resources he does, all of a sudden you're not you're not dividing people, you're building people up. You're bringing people together. That's what unity does. And look at verse 17. It says, And for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so finally you get the pastor right? That's what, that's what a shepherd is. It means pastor. And so finally, you get this ultimate pastor in Jesus. Now, y'all listen to me. I love you, but I'm not Jesus, right? The way church works is this. At least here on earth, this is the way it works. I'm going to disappoint you as your pastor, and you're going to disappoint me as people here in the church. That's the way this works, and here's why. It gives us a taste for the one who will never disappoint us, And that is Jesus. I will disappoint you and I will let you down. Jesus won't. He is your faithful pastor and he will pastor you. The question for you is, will you let him? You see, for those of you who haven't said yes to Jesus and his offer of salvation, let him pastor you starting today by simply saying yes to him. And here's what you're gonna see if you do. You're gonna see that he has always been there pastoring you you'll just now be able to see him clearly as the one that you follow and clearly as the one who leads you. So if you haven't said yes to him today, let today be the day that you do that. And for those of you who have already said yes to Jesus, don't let hard times, these hard times in particular, lead you to fear. Let me ask you a question. When when this coronavirus, COVID-19 season is over, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be when this is over? Do you want to be a person who's led by fear or do you want to be a person who's led by Jesus? Because you see, here's what we see today as a better way to respond. It's by staying faithful to a faithful Jesus because he will always be faithful to you. And so we can rest in him. We can wait on him. We can trust him. And this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice when fear is taking a hold of you, because here's what fear is going to say. Fears might make you say, I'm right, they're wrong. Beware of self-righteousness. And instead, serve God by serving someone else. Fear might make you say this week, I am mad. Let God deal with the one who made you mad. Pray for your enemy, is what Jesus says. Maybe fear will make you say, if they would only do it my way. How about this? Pursue unity, not division. Does fear make you say, you won't do this again? Practice building up, not tearing down. Y'all, I have a final verse that I'm going to pray over us. And I hope that it ministers to you and I hope that it gives you hope and a direction forward through these hard times that we're living in. So what we're going to do is I just want you to close your eyes and listen to this verse as I pray it for us. James 4, 6 through 8 says this, But God gives more grace. Jesus, give us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus, make us a humble people. The scriptures say, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Jesus, show us where we aren't submitting to you and where instead we're submitting to fear. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Father, may we not fight your enemies. May we let you fight. May we just resist. And then finally, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus, you do draw near to us. And I thank you for that. May we be a people that draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.